Chapter 8 Will's holding pattern is starting to break down on him. He hears an animal crying in the fields, but when he invites Alana over to help him look for it, he can't find so much as a paw. Can you really hear this far from your house? Oh, sure. If it was quiet enough, you could probably hear this far. She raises her eyebrow. Thanks. No, I just meant sound carries really well across the fields, and... He sees her grin. Oh, you're messing with me. You make it so easy it's hard to resist. She teases. He smiles at his feet, rather than escalate the flirting. He clears his throat. Anyway, from what I heard, this is as far out as it could have been. Whatever it was. But I'm not even seeing any tracks. Maybe the wind altered the apparent position? Alana, trained as a guide. She has to know the other possibility is a sensory spike. Still, she's the one who recommended Hannibal as Will's guide. She's going to assume his stability is well in hand. And it really could have been the wind throwing the noise. Will wants it to have been the wind. Maybe. Well, if that was the case, we could hear it from here, and I don't hear anything. You want some coffee? I could use a warm-up, sure. They head back to Will's house. Two fields and one stand of trees farther out, Will's neighbor Magda comes across a scattered patch of fur and bloodied mud. She shakes her head. Coyotes are so vicious this time of year. Then, of course, because Will just can't catch a break, there's a new murder tableau right in the middle of Baltimore. A man tied to a chair, head thrown back and throat open to make him into an improvised cello. Or not improvised. The team will confirm for him back at the lab, but the tissue stretched over the bridge doesn't exactly look raw to Will. This is a planned display. And a functional one, he learns in the reconstruction, drawing the bow across the strings and listening to the deep, tortured chords as if the trombonist's death inhabits and colors the notes. The musician's swaggering contempt sits uneasily in Will's psyche, making him snap and mutter at Douglas Wilson's body in the morgue, and disturbing the rest of the team. Horribly, he misses the calm and satisfaction of the rippers of Hannibal's kills. Not that he will ever tell Hannibal that. His guide might not survive the surgeon ego. Outside of an active hunt where Will might get to kill someone, Hannibal really doesn't like Will studying killers other than Hannibal. They take up space in Will's mind that should belong to Hannibal, leaving Will troubled where Hannibal wants Will to feel pleased. When Will mentions that he can hear this new killer's song behind closed eyes, Hannibal's jealousy is startling. Persistent, unwanted sensory memories can wreak havoc on sensory control. He lies. They're just an ordinary nuisance like most other intrusive thoughts. Considering how sensitive you keep your hearing, I'm concerned about your risk for sensory spikes or even his own. Will looks troubled. Could he already be experiencing sensory spikes? Surely he would tell Hannibal. What do you suggest? I suggest we attempt to overload your hearing as a way to reset it. Will blinks. Overload my hearing? With what? Well, I have a harpsichord just in the corner there. I could play for you. I just... sit and listen? Listen to the best of your considerable ability. Ideally, we shore up your resilience a little more. At worst, you spend a few minutes listening to music. Will hesitates, then nods. Seems like a safe enough experiment. Hannibal gets Will situated in his desk chair, wheeled to the side of the harpsichord. He pours Will a glass of wine to drink while he rifles through his sheet music. If he were susceptible to performance anxiety, he would be feeling it now. 
He chooses two pieces and sits down on the little bench. Will has finished his wine and set down the empty glass. Will, I want you to close your eyes. Focus on your breathing. Be aware of it without controlling it. With every breath out, another part of your body becomes relaxed. Your face, your neck, your shoulders, your arms and hands. Then moving down your back until even your toes are relaxed. Then you will be ready to listen. Hannibal does not often use the full force of his guide voice. No true guide does. Theirs is an obscure, niche profession, usually secondary to some other career, and very few people are aware of the full extent of a true guide's power. It's better that way. They would be as exploited and policed as sentinels otherwise. Combined with long-acting sedatives and hypnotics, Hannibal's guide voice at full strength has kept Miriam Lass catatonic for more than two years obediently eating and sleeping away the weeks between his visits. Will Graham requires a much lighter touch. Hannibal speaks to him softly, calibrating the command in his voice just until Will visibly relaxes. Are you ready, Will? Yes. The weary peace in his face is so beautiful. Hannibal really must arrange for Will to sleep in his bed again soon. It's been too long. Once I am playing, I would like you to dial up your hearing as high as is comfortable. Let the music wash through you. Anything you feel in response is natural and welcome. Allow yourself to feel it. Hannibal turns to the keyboard and begins to play. The first piece is a light, clever tune, chosen to engage Will and draw him in, the sort of thing he would play at a party. Soon enough, Will is humming along under his breath. It's tuneless and inconsistent. He's not even aware he's doing it. Excellent. Hannibal improvises a segue from the ending of that piece to the beginning of the next, which has a considerably different tone. Yearning, aching, pulsing with devotion and desire. Hannibal pours himself into the notes. The keys pluck the strings as Hannibal wishes to caress Will's skin, his hair, the intimate hidden parts of his body, to look into Will's eyes and be known, just as he knows Will, to kiss him, to see Will's face every day forever. To Hannibal's right, Will's breath is hitched and shaky. He glances out of the corner of his eye and sees that Will's cheeks are wet with tears. He quickly returns his attention to the music, lest he be overcome by his impulse to taste them. Gently, he brings the music to a circling close, rounding off the piercing need of it into a wistful, subdued conclusion. When the echoes of the last soft note dies away, Hannibal turns back to Will. He is no longer actively crying, but he hasn't opened his eyes. Hannibal moves as quietly as he can to fetch the box of tissues, then crouches in front of the chair. It's several minutes before Will opens his eyes. When he does, he makes eye contact with Hannibal for a long, wondering moment before averting his gaze and reaching for the proffered tissues. Thank you, he says, and his voice is rough and wet as he mops his face. You're welcome, says Hannibal. How do you feel? Will laughs weakly. <laughs> Um, rung out? I don't listen to a lot of live performances. I imagine you wouldn't. Even a small crowd would sap much of the sensual enjoyment from such an experience, and most crowds large enough to exceed Will's vigilance would be listening to music electronically amplified, if not generated, and thus laden with interference inaudible to those without hypercausis. You may ask me to play for you at any time. Most music for the harpsichord is not so intense as what I chose today. More like the first piece. Will stands and walks closer to the instrument, peering inside it. 
and it doesn't sound like a piano at all, even though it looks like one. I prefer it to the piano, because the strings are plucked instead of struck. It is not possible to control the volume. More alive, the music arrives like experience, sudden and entire. Will grins crookedly. I was just going to call it cranky and organic, but what you said sounds better. He looks at Hannibal again, face going serious. I think the killer wanted to do this, wanted to play for someone. It's a serenade. Mm. But this isn't how he kills. Normally, he doesn't kill for an audience. You believe he risks getting caught for a serenade? Hannibal can relate to that. In a way, he's been serenading Will ever since he heaved Cassie Boyle onto the antlers of the stag. I believe he wants to show someone how well he plays. The very next day, Franklin delivers a message to Hannibal from his friend Tobias, identifying him as the man who killed the trombonist and planted his song in Will's head. If it were only the former, Hannibal would remain content to spectate from a distance, but the latter demands a visit. It's not difficult to track Tobias down. It's not meant to be. He certainly can play the violin, well enough that Hannibal stops the bell on the door from ringing and hopes he'll play longer. Hannibal wonders if the haunting, lonely melody is the same one played on the vocal chords of Douglas Wilson. From Will's description of the tableau, the notes produced would have been almost grindingly deep, like something issuing forth from the bowels of the earth. Bowels. Another puzzle piece clicks into place for Hannibal when he notices the preponderance of gut strings in the shop. No doubt it's a boon to Tobias's business, never having to pay wholesalers or import duties. How many instruments in the Baltimore Metropolitan Orchestra are strung with Tobias's victims? Tobias, as much as Hannibal remembers him from the opera. In many ways, he reminds Hannibal of himself, nearly twenty years younger. Wide gaps in his person suit. Caught between delight in performing humanity so successfully. Isolation, and the reckless urge to throw caution to the wind and revel in his own superiority. Hannibal mastered that urge. Somehow, he thinks Tobias lacks the discipline to do so. He invites Tobias over for dinner. It's one thing to make a realization off the brief acceleration of an unusually steady heart. It's quite another to sit and listen as that heart bears itself and pours out its longing into Will's ears. A whole day later, and Will still feels shocky with it, battered by the river of emotion Hannibal unleashed on him without saying a word. Will has never been desired like that, not ever in his life, not by someone who knows who he really is. Hell, Hannibal also knows more about that, too, than anyone ever has. It's... dangerously flattering, verging on intoxicating, and Will is avoiding examining himself for a response in kind. Fly-tying is an appropriately meticulous task to distract himself with, until he gets distracted from that by the scratching and chittering of a trapped raccoon. It sounds like it's coming from his chimney. He's just broken through the wall with his sledgehammer when the noise fades out. He can't see or smell anything but soot inside the chimney. He's almost pathetically grateful when Alana Bloom chooses that moment to show up on his doorstep. Thought I'd make some noise. Shoo away any predators at your door, she says. Looks like you're making plenty of noise all by yourself. She's so nice, so normal, and her caring and attraction are conceivable, survivable things. He sets the hammer on his mantle. You avoided being alone in a room with me essentially since you met me. You were smooth about it. Evidently not smooth enough, she says ruefully. And now you're making house calls? Will steps into her space. She doesn't step away. 
just a drive-by on my way home, since you're not my patient. She turns her face up as he draws closer. No, I'm not. Will reaches out and kisses her. She puts her hands on the back of Will's neck and kisses him back. For one quivering moment, everything is warm and secure. And the next moment, it all falls apart. Alana makes noises about how they wouldn't work and slips out, embarrassed. Will is left alone in his living room, a frightened man with dirty hands. No sooner has her hybrid pulled away than he hears the raccoon chittering again, followed by the loud clonk of something metal falling over and hitting another something metal. His shovel knocked over and hitting his freezer out in the barn. He just had an undeniable sensory spike. His turmoil propels him into his car and onto the road to Baltimore. By the time he comes down enough to question the wisdom of fleeing to Hannibal's house, the only thing worse than continuing forward is turning around. Will rings Hannibal's doorbell and pushes inside, briefly concerned by the fact that Hannibal has it unlocked at this time of night. Then he remembers who Hannibal is. If some poor bastard decides to burgle Hannibal Lecter, that's not a problem. That's delivery. All these thoughts grind to a halt when he sees Hannibal walk into the foyer. I kissed Alana Bloom, he blurts out, shaking the snow off his coat and tossing it on a bench. Well, says Hannibal, as Will stalks past him. Come in. In the dining room, the table is set for two, and the door to the yard is hanging open. You have a guest? A colleague. You just missed him. And didn't finish his dinner. Even knowing what kind of meat is on the table, the smell is so good Will's mouth waters. An urgent call of some sort, says Hannibal, shutting the door. Had to leave suddenly. He continues into the kitchen and Will follows. This benefits you because I have dessert for two. Dessert is bread pudding. Will can handle bread pudding. He can't think of any way to incorporate people into it without compromising on flavor, something he knows Hannibal wouldn't do. Besides, he skips supper and it smells great. They talk about Alana while Hannibal fusses over toppings. Hannibal manages very smoothly to inquire why Will is so distressed by this very grade school series of events. I had a spike in my hearing, Will admits. I thought I heard a raccoon trapped in my chimney when really it was shuffling around in my barn. I didn't figure it out until after I broke through the wall and made a fool of myself. He put the kitchen island between them on purpose, but now he draws as close as he can. I sleepwalk. I get headaches. I'm losing control of my senses. I feel unstable. That's why you kissed her. A clutch for balance. Will would find acknowledging using someone like that uncomfortable no matter what. Hearing it from a monster is probably the best word. Who wants Will desperately but is too respectful to say so. It's all Will can do to remain in the room. Hannibal says, kind but ruthless. You said yourself what you do is not good for you. Well, unfortunately, I am good for it. Will is not ready to have this argument again. Hannibal seems to sense this and changes the subject. Are you still hearing this killer's serenade behind your eyes? Off and on, sharing time with his killer's serenade. He laughs weakly. Well, it's our song. Hannibal hands him a plate of something that was once bread pudding, and now looks like something Will just barely understands how to eat. There's a spoon nearby. He'll wing it. One bite in, he realizes how much Hannibal usually alters his recipes for Will. It's so sweet he has to dial down his sense of taste, when dialing up in anticipation has become the norm. Still, it's warm and moist and soft, and probably has more calories than everything else he's eaten today combined. So he presses on. 
Hannibal watches him, taking a few bites of dessert himself. Will feels like he should mark the occasion somehow, Hannibal Lecter eating, standing up. When Will is scraping up the last of the raspberry syrup and whipped cream, Hannibal says, I hesitate to tell you this, as it borders on a violation of doctor-patient confidentiality. Will whimpers inwardly. Hannibal may be right. The work is grinding him down. He gestures for Hannibal to continue. A patient told me today he suspected a friend of his may be involved in the murder at the symphony. What did he say about his friend? He owns a music store in Baltimore, specializing in string instruments. Perhaps you should interview him. Will nods. I'll take it to Jack in the morning. He rubs his eyes. God, I'm going to be a zombie tomorrow. Hannibal says firmly, You are in no condition to drive, and the roads are in no condition to be driven on, especially in the dark. Call your sitter and ask her to see to your dogs in the morning. Stay over. Will reflects on the fact that Hannibal was the Chesapeake Ripper, and a cannibal, and in love with him, the other times he slept at Hannibal's house. Who Hannibal is hasn't changed. Only what Will knows has changed. And it's true that Will wouldn't let a friend drive right now like this. Okay. He shrugs. I should accept the inevitable and just stash some clothes here, including extra sleep clothes so I don't have to keep borrowing your pajamas. It's no trouble at all, Hannibal insists. And yes, by God, that is the very faintest possible flush of pink in his cheeks. He likes Will wearing Hannibal's pajamas. It occurs to Will that while Hannibal has seen and touched Will's naked back, and backside, Will has never seen Hannibal any more unclothed than having his shirt sleeves rolled up to mid-forearm. His imagination helpfully conjures up a picture of Hannibal's broad chest, with one of Will's skimpy t-shirts stretched over it. He forces himself to think instead about how to discourage raccoons from nesting in his barn. The dogs all have their rabies shots, but it's still not good. An ambitious raccoon could probably take Susie, and maybe Momo, too. Buster is smaller than Momo, but he would think a chance to fight a raccoon was this lucky day. Thoughts of metal mesh and doing a big clean around the fish freezer keep him occupied until he's curled up in Hannibal's bed, under Hannibal's intent gaze. Will supposes it's not really so strange to feel so safe there. Certainly, it's one time he doesn't feel the responsibility of being the most dangerous thing in the room. Tobias Booge is shady as hell. He straps on a placid mask, but it's a sloppy construction compared to Hannibal's. Booge is excited to see Will and the two police officers. Will is just trying to talk him around to saying something worth arresting him for when there is a screech of brakes, a thump, and a pitiful howl outside. Did you hear that? Buge's eyes widen with genuine surprise. Hear what? The cops shrug. I didn't hear anything, says one of them. The dog's pain claws at the inside of Will's head. He can't take it. Excuse me. He rushes out into the street, but there's nothing there. He dodges honking vehicles and tries to pinpoint the direction his spiking hearing is feeding him the sound from. The dog yelps again, and then a woman's voice says, Oh my god, you poor thing! I'm so sorry! Here, just let me! The dog snarls and whimpers, and the woman grunts, and then a car door slams, and Will can't hear the dog anymore. The whole thing must have played out several blocks away. There's nothing he can do. It sounds like there's nothing he needs to do. He troops back into Cordophone, saying, Sorry about that, and shuts up when he smells the blood. He calls ERT for the officer with the sharpened conductor's baton through his neck, for all the good it will do. He can only hear one heartbeat somewhere under his feet. The thick darkness of the basement confirms Will's suspicion. Buge has hypersensitive hearing, at least, and possibly vision as well. 
He's hoping to gain an additional advantage over Will, on top of knowing where everything is in his tiny workspace. Will's advantage is that Buge doesn't know he can see. Will moves slowly, as if feeling his way with his feet. He takes in the drawers of coiled bowel, the racks with strips of tissue in various stage of processing, the faint, inedible smell of a fulva in the air. Imported from Italy, my ass. Buge is lurking by the staircase. The second officer is sprawled over a sink. No heartbeat. Will edges over to the sink, ostensibly to check on him, really to get enough distance for a clean shot. But Buge is even more eager than Will guessed, and rushes him before Will can spin around. He tries to garrote Will with the loops of piano wire, and Will's hands are caught between the wire and his throat. He dampens his hearing hard, and brings his guns up between their ears. Even with the silencer, it's not meant to be fired that close. Zone, 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 he prays, and fires. His own hearing shorts out into shrill ringing, but he can feel Buge's bellow of pain. So, not zoned. Buge shoves him away and charges up the stairs. Will fires after him, but between the cuts to his hands and his hearing affecting his balance, he misses badly. It isn't until ERT has arrived on the scene and started taking a statement that he remembers why he's here, because of concerns expressed by Buge's friend. Buge's friend, who is a patient of Hannibal's. He knows where Buge is going. His first thought is that it's Hannibal. He'll probably be fine. His second thought is to realize that probably is empathetically not good enough. And oh, this is what it feels like when a member of Will's tribe is threatened. He only just refrains from running out the door and through downtown Baltimore on foot. At no point does he think it will solve a lot of problems for him if Hannibal is not fine. Hannibal was having such a good day. He fed breakfast to a well-rested Will, a cheese omelet by a special request, and sent him off to eliminate the impulsive, dangerously well-informed, and offensively forward Tobias Buge. Really, he was much like Franklin in his graceless demands for friendship. He saw Bedelia and talked with her about his singular connection with Will, and how even someone with whom he has more in common on the surface just doesn't compare. He is just rounding off his good day by cutting Franklin loose when Tobias charges in with a bleeding ear. Tobias says, I've just killed two men. And Hannibal is no longer having a good day. His stomach clenches with a sick horror he has not felt since early childhood, since a time he does not think about. No, no, not Will, no! Franklin bleats at Tobias like he's a regular person who panicked and made a mistake. Tobias's mistake was coming back into Hannibal's line of sight. He interrupts by breaking Franklin's neck. I was looking forward to that, Tobias complains. Not as much as I am looking forward to killing you. I saved you the trouble. Tobias tosses his coat aside and starts to spin the weighted length of piano wire. Hannibal backs up into the more obstacle-laden part of his office, and then they are fighting for their lives. Tobias is younger, probably pound for pound stronger, and armed with his weapon of choice. Hannibal is on his home territory, with nearly twenty more years of fighting experience, and is suffused with rage. Hannibal won't go so far as to call it a near thing. He collects several blows on purpose for authenticity. But it's a harder fight than he's had in years. He could have done without the stab wound to his leg. Two kills in ten minutes, and all he can feel is a frozen grief that he can truly voice to no one. He limps over to his harpsichord and taps out one of the loveliest melodies he knows, the aria to the Goldberg variations. There is so much he never got to share with Will. When his leg heals, he is going to kill everyone. 
He's giving Jack Crawford a half-hearted rendition of traumatized psychiatrist when Will walks in, alive, alive, alive. Jack is there, taking a statement from Hannibal or some shit. Will doesn't care. Hannibal has blood on his face, bruises and cuts. He's looking at Will like he's seeing the face of God. Will's feet carry him closer until they're facing each other. I was worried you were dead, Hannibal says softly. Will finds he can't say anything back. He closes the gap and grabs Hannibal's shoulders in his shaking hands. He buries his face in the crook of Hannibal's neck and smells him. Hurt, bloodied, surprised, happy. Uh, Will? Jack asks behind him. Will pulls back enough to look Hannibal in the eyes. Buge? Dead. Good. Those are all the words Will has left in him. He leans in and kisses Hannibal full on the mouth. Gently, in light of the beating Hannibal's taken, but unequivocal, claiming. Oh, hell, says Jack. Hannibal stiffens in shock for an instant, then groans and pulls Will against him, deepening the kiss until they're all but crushed together, opening his mouth to Will and licking for Will to do the same. Will's whole body lurches forward when his tongue surges into Hannibal's mouth, tasting him for the very first time. He tastes like he smells. Unmistakable. Will's. Jack clears his throat. Will growls and rakes his fingers through Hannibal's hair, destroying the remaining hold of whatever stupid, not-Hannibal-smelling stuff he puts in it to make it lie flat. Gentlemen? Hannibal winds his fingers up behind Will's upper back and then tugs lightly on his shirt collar, until Will breaks away and whirls to glare at Jack for interrupting. Jack holds up placating hands. May I suggest you get a room? Hannibal sniffs. You may not, but I would like to go home. Come, Will. Take me home. He leads Will by the hand, past a half-dozen police officers and FBI agents, variously gawking and smirking. Will ignores them all completely, in favor of trying to reach under the hem of Hannibal's jacket and vest and shirt, and why the hell does Hannibal wear so many clothes? Hannibal deposits Will in the passenger seat of his Bentley and admonishes him. Just for a few minutes, you must keep your hands to yourself, dear Will. It wouldn't do to come so far only for us to die in a crash, now would it? This makes sense. It's torturous. But Will does what his guide asks until they're parked again at Hannibal's house. Then he leaps from the car and all but drags Hannibal into the house. The soundproofing closes in all around them, and he slams Hannibal up against the wall and kisses him again, deeper, rubbing his tongue against Hannibal's when Hannibal isn't sucking on it. They are both furiously hard. Will can feel his erection rubbing up against Hannibal's, and he slides a knee between Hannibal's legs and pushes one sideways to get him closer bring Hannibal down a couple of inches so they can grind together. Only, Hannibal jerks at the contact with his thigh and gasps in pain. Bedroom, Hannibal says, and Will nods and helps him limp up the stairs. On the way, he helps Hannibal remove his jacket, his vest, and his belt. He's just tugging Hannibal's shirt out of the waistband of his pants when they reach the door of Hannibal's bedroom. They all but topple through it. Hannibal starts to fumble with the buttons of his shirt, but he hisses when doing so aggravates a wound on his wrist, and Will rips the offending garment off in a rage, scattering buttons everywhere. Hannibal gapes at him. Will, take your clothes off, he orders, and unbuttons his pants. Yes, Will is also wearing too many clothes. It takes him seconds to shuck them all in a heap, because he is a sensible man who wears loose, comfortable things, unlike some people in the room. Hannibal is sitting on the bed to finish pulling off his pants and socks. Will helps him, with a foot, and then pushes Hannibal down onto his back and looks. Objectively, Hannibal is very good-looking. 
leaner than the bulky suits make him appear, hard musculature that only comes from a lifetime of discipline, liberally dusted with graying hair, thick, ready, uncut dick that intimidates Will not at all in his present mood, because subjectively, Will just wants him so bad he quakes with it. Judging by the open mouth stare Hannibal gives Will for all of five seconds before yanking him down into another kiss, the feeling is mutual. When their chests touch, Will rubs ecstatically against all that warm skin and crinkly hair. He nuzzles just behind Hannibal's ear and sniffs deep. His guide smells less hurt now, more happy and steadily more aroused. Good. Good. He licks where he smelled, and Hannibal starts to pant. Will can hear Hannibal's heart racing and feel it against his own chest. Hannibal's hands were roaming all over Will's back, but now he slides one hand down to cup Will's hip, and the other between them to enclose both their cocks in his big, hot grip. Will needs both his hands to hold himself up, and still nearly collapses when Hannibal starts to stroke them. Will is leaking so much pre-cum that Hannibal's grip becomes slippery and gliding in short order. Messy boy. Hannibal teases breathlessly. Will shuts him up with a kiss, hips starting to work in tandem with Hannibal's hand. Hannibal encourages him by tugging on his hip. On a hard thrust from Will, Hannibal grunts and shifts his hand from Will's hip to Will's ass, digging his fingers into the muscle. Will's rhythm starts to stutter, and he breaks the kiss to press his forehead to Hannibal's, breathing in ragged gasps. Open your eyes, Will, Hannibal pleads. Let me see you. Will obeys. He feels like he's going to drown in the raw want on Hannibal's face. Hannibal licks his lips and urges him. Come now, Will. Mark me. Make me yours. Yes. Will's mouth falls open and a guttural cry rips out of him. His hips snap forward and he's coming, all over Hannibal's hand and belly. His guide. His. Hannibal strokes him through it, watching Will avidly, rumbling his pleasure in his chest. When Will has finished and fallen onto his elbows, heaving for air, Hannibal clutches Will's ass, bruisingly tight, and jerks himself. Will. He rasps. Oh, give me. Let me taste. It doesn't take an empathy disorder to know what Hannibal wants. Will shifts his weight onto one arm, and with his other hand, he gathers up some of his still warm release off Hannibal's stomach. He slips his fingers into Hannibal's mouth, and Hannibal hums and sucks them eagerly. Will rubs the pads of his fingers against Hannibal's tongue, and Hannibal groans and spurts between them. Will moans with him, feeling Hannibal's pleasure echo through him like a second orgasm of his own. Will has a bright idea, and tugs his fingers out of Hannibal's mouth, released reluctantly, followed weakly, to scoop up some of their mingled cum. He tastes it himself, and Hannibal wheezes, watching him through slitted eyes. They taste good together. Hannibal grabs his hand and licks it clean, uncoordinated and extravagant. Will snuggles against Hannibal's chest, sticky and sweaty, and, he suspects, only briefly sated. After Hannibal returns Will's hand, he strokes Will's back up and down, slow and aimless. Can you speak yet? Will opens his mouth, then shuts it and shakes his head. He must start to tense up, because Hannibal makes a shushing noise and rubs his back harder. It's all right. I know what's happening. You're manifesting. I'm flattered that a single threat to me did what months of trauma could not. He drops a kiss onto the top of Will's head. We should remove to Wolf Trap while you still have some control over your hearing. The soundproofing in my house is adequate under normal circumstances, but it won't be soon, and it will be better to be near your pack. Will sighs and starts to lever himself up, grimacing at the tacky mess gluing them together. Not so exciting now that the moment has passed. Perhaps a shower first, Hannibal amends. 
Willis half expecting Hannibal to throw on a robe for the trip to the bathroom, but it seems his buttoned-up guide actually has two modes, overdressed and blithely naked as the day he was born. He sits heavily on the marble bench in the steam shower, looking on as Will fiddles with the water and squeezes what he hopes is liquid soap onto a fluffy washcloth. One of many firsts I imagined differently, Hannibal mourns. Will abruptly envisions himself spread over the bench, shaking apart while Hannibal eats out his ass. His dick twitches. Hannibal notices. He reaches for Will without getting up. Will steps between Hannibal's spread legs and offers him the washcloth. Hannibal spreads foam all over Will's front, then enfolds Will's limp, tender cock. Will can feel every soap bubble and every fiber of the cloth. He whimpers as he slowly grows hard again. When Hannibal moves the cloth, Will tries to pull away, but Hannibal lifts his uninjured leg and traps Will with his calf behind Will's hamstrings. He moves the cloth again, and Will squeezes his eyes shut. Too much? Hannibal asks. Will jerks his head in a nod. But you're always taking too much for me. You can do it now. Hold on to me. Will puts his hands on Hannibal's shoulders, leaning heavily when Hannibal sets up a gentle, merciless rhythm that turns Will's knees to jelly. Ah, uh ah, -uh, Hannibal admonishes when Will bites his lip. I want to hear you. You don't need words to tell me what I'm doing to you. He tightens his grip and twists the cloth. The high-pitched gasp Will makes is embarrassing, but unimportant next to Hannibal's soft words of praise, and the pitiful twists of overstimulated pleasure lashing through him. He starts to move into it, wines escaping him every time Hannibal skims the head of his cock. That's it. You're so beautiful like this. Come for me, sweet Will. Hannibal cups Will's balls in his free hand, then strokes behind them to rub his perineum. There might be a bit of a guide voice at work there, because while Will hadn't thought he was close, he abruptly clenches up and he shudders out a second release. It feels like he loses something vital along with it. Blood, maybe, or some liquefied part of his brain. He sags against Hannibal when it's over, and Hannibal kisses him lavishly while he finishes cleaning them both with the lightest touch he can manage. Back in the bedroom, Will finds he can barely look at his crumpled clothes without curling his lip in a silent snarl. They reek of gun smoke, blood, the moist fecal air of Tobias Buge's basement, and worst of all, Buge himself. The smell of Buge on Hannibal's clothes is even worse. Hannibal sees the disgust on his face and bundles all their clothes into a hamper, holding back only the contents of Will's jacket. For Will, he retrieves the same pajamas Will slept in last night. The only thing I own with a drawstring, he explains. We are not stopping on our way to Wolf Trap. No one will see. Once Will is dressed, Hannibal drapes the quivet blanket over Will's shoulders, then puts on some shockingly casual slacks and a red sweater, folding more clothes into a large cloth tote bag. Downstairs, Hannibal adds sensory emergency supplies to the tote bag, a pair of soundproof earmuffs, dark goggles, and a surgical mask. The drive will be difficult, he says. Use these if you need them. He pauses and slips into the kitchen to add a paper sack of coffee beans. All right. Now we're ready to go. Outside, the daylight is piercingly bright. Hannibal's Bentley has one of the quietest engines Will has ever heard, but the purr still sounds like a roar right now. Will was briefly concerned about smelling budge on the interior, but all he smells is gasoline and leather and Hannibal. Too strong, but nothing that will drive his instincts around the bend. He huddles in the blanket in the passenger seat and tries to dial everything down, but his senses are slow to respond, and then, only minimally, and they keep trying to creep back up. Hannibal spends much of the drive on speakerphone, calling his clients and canceling every appointment he has for the next week, and Will's classes too. 
It's times like this I regret allowing my secretary to follow her girlfriend to the United Kingdom, he says ruefully. Will thinks she probably really did leave. Hannibal is too careful to eat an employee. Will gives in and puts on earmuffs about twenty minutes out from Wolf Trap. They help a little. It helps more when they finally arrive and Will can get out of the fucking car. How could he have ever thought it was quiet? He leaves the blanket and the earmuffs on the seat in his hurry to reunite with his dogs. They're excited to see him several hours earlier than usual. Most of their ears and necks smell faintly of a woman's hands. Will never had active hypersomnia around her before, but he supposes it must be Catherine. Safe on his land, his senses break free of his shredded control and spiral up, 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 until he can hear everything for what feels like miles, smell thousands of things around him. His eyes are so sensitive he can't even bear to open them. Overwhelming is putting it mildly. Hannibal is there, the booming of his heart more critical to Will's sense of the world right now than the sound of his own. He guides Will inside his little house and sits him down on the bed. The springs squeal when Hannibal climbs gingerly onto it as well. Will crawls up to lie against his chest, letting his guide's heartbeat fill his ears and push everything else to the periphery. The gentle patter of seven doggy hearts and all their varied snuffling and scratching. The breeze in the naked trees. The scrapes of mice and squirrels snacking in between stretches of torpor. The gurgle of the stream. The smell of Hannibal's skin is the smell of home, even more so than the smells of Will's house. Hannibal has brought the blanket from the car. It smells less like what must be muskox than it does Will's semen, and pulls it over them both. Later, the space heater will have to be switched on for the dog's sake, but for the moment, they have this blessed quiet and warmth. Will floats in it, not zoning, but scarcely thinking either. He does have one thought, eventually, the same one he did a few days ago. What am I going to do with you? Just the thought of Hannibal at risk tipped Will over an edge that, to be honest, he's been skirting most of his life. The thought of losing him is anathema now. I guess I'd better keep you.